still recovering from Thanksgiving. I think I might have gained like 20 pounds. I have stretch marks in my clothes. It's not a good sight. Anyways, how about we all stand up before we begin? All right. All right, before we get started, I would like to ask a very special young lady to come up and share a testimony with, with us this morning. Uh, Alyssa. She is part of uh, Elevate Youth Ministries here at MPI, and she is just awesome. She's an awesome, awesome young young lady, and she would like to share what God has been doing in her life as of today. So please give a warm welcome to her as she comes up and shares. Hey, what's up? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm 14, and I'm in 201. So, um, yeah, so well, God put on my heart like... <laughs> So this week, I haven't been in school, and it was, like, a huge opportunity to me, like, to fall into temptation to just do things that, you know, I wouldn't normally do. And I was thinking about it because, you know, I almost gave in. I was like, what makes me good enough to stay, to be a disciple, be a leader in this church? What makes me good enough? And how did, like, how do I believe, how do I know that God is going to actually, like, change me? But then I remember. And then going to 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So then this kind of put in my head, God has already made you new. God has already cleaned you. God has already made you strong. Whenever you're feeling weak, God is there and he's going to build you up. Don't ever, like, think that you're alone because you're not because God is always going to be there. So it was just, like, in my heart. And I was like, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to pray now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray for everyone in this church right now, Lord Jesus. I pray that you follow them when they leave the church, Lord, that you're always in their heart, that you're always by their side, Lord, that whenever they feel alone, that you're that they know you're there, Lord Jesus, that you're always there and you're the light in their life, Lord. Whenever they're going through hardships, whatever they're going through, Lord, meet them where they're at, Lord, and just change their hearts, break down their hearts, Lord Jesus. I pray that they go to you humbly, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. that you don't know right now. Can you turn to your neighbor? Just say, hey, good afternoon. Thanks for coming to church today. Can you just tell that same neighbor to just follow you up to this altar right now? We're just going to sing some songs to Jesus. Come on, grab their hands. Tell them, come on, let's come up to the front. We're going to sing. Put those hands together.
you today. Can you just lift up your voice right now and say, God, I love you. I've come today, Lord, just to get closer to you, to hear your voice today, God. Thank you that you're in our hearts, Lord.
trying to keep the wheel spinning you're trying to keep things afloat in your life today and he's saying that if you would just give your life to me if you would surrender your life entirely to me not just the problem areas but everything man that's when you're going to find your life that's when you're going to find fulfillment that's when you're going to find peace and true peace that's when you're going to find true life is in Jesus today so if that's you man you've been trying to keep things afloat want to give you the opportunity right now to respond to what this song is saying Jesus you're at the center of my life come on if that's you just take a moment right now say Jesus I lay it all down before you I lay it all down before you Jesus I give my life to you come on right now in this room just you and him hallelujah Jesus oh Lord we wait on you we wait on you God Spirit, I know you're speaking to hearts today. 
tugging on hearts today, Jesus. I know you're tugging on our hearts today, Jesus.
Hallelujah. Why don't you lift up your hands with me? Hallelujah. Lord God, this afternoon, we just declare that our hearts are yours. We fully surrender our will before you. Father, we ask you to have your way. Take full control of our hearts. Take full control of our lives because apart from you, we can do nothing. We cannot bear any good fruit without you. So, Lord, we acknowledge that this afternoon and we say we surrender. Come on, in your own words, just say it. Say it to him between you and the Lord. I surrender my heart to you. I surrender my plans, my hopes, my dreams to you because I know that you know better. I know that you have more than I can ever think or imagine because you are a good God. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender, Lord, to you. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. Come on, you got to say it. Come on out of your own mouth. Just say, I surrender. I don't want to keep trying. I don't want to keep running. I don't want to feel like I'm just burning out. I surrender to you. something. Come on, just right now, let it go and surrender to the King. Oh, we surrender to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, right now, just let his perfect peace just come upon you. Whatever area in your life you may be holding on to, you may be struggling, you may have fears and worries over something and you're holding on to it so tight, just surrender it to him. Say, God, give me wisdom. Give me knowledge in this area. Make a way where there seems to be no way. I surrender to you. I surrender. Just take a moment right now. Just release it to God. Whatever it may be, your future. Come on, just surrender your health to him. Come on, he is sovereign. He knows best. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And Father, right now, we just want to lift up our city to you. Father, our city is in turmoil. Our city has, has been thrown into confusion and just destruction by the enemy, God. The devil is a liar, and the devil has tried to take control of our city. But this morning, we lift up our city to you, dear God. And we pray for your mercy. We pray for your grace upon our city once again. Father, your word tells us that whatever we tie on earth, whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So right now in the name of Jesus, I tie and I bind up the violence in the city of Chicago in Jesus' name. I tie and I bind up the division the enemy is trying to bring because of racism in the name of Jesus. We tie and we bind corruption in the police offices right now in the name of Jesus. We tie and we bind corruption. We tie and we bind anger and fear that the enemy is trying to instill in Jesus' mighty name. Father God, and with the power and the authority that you've given us in this room, Father, we let loose your truth. We let loose your mercy. We let loose your grace. 
We let loose salvation, God. In the name of Jesus, we let loose healing over the city of Chicago. Father, we pray that we, uh, we would see boldness arise in your people and every person that calls himself a believer, that we would preach the gospel to lost and the hurting, that we would see people be saved in Jesus' name. Our hope is in you and not in man. And so this morning we give you glory, we give you honor and praise because we know that you are in control and you are sovereign. So have your way with our city in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Give the Lord some praise. Whoa, come on. He is in control. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining with us this morning. Please find a seat. Greet your neighbor. So good to have you here this afternoon. You guys excited to be in the house of God? Amen. I want to take this moment to share the gospel with you. If you could please turn with me in your Bibles in John 3, 3. The gospel meaning good news. We need some good news, right? Our city needs some good news. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I got some good news for you this morning. The Bible tells us in John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, who is him? His name is Nicodemus. He was talking to a, a religious leader who came and asked him, how can one be saved? Jesus replied to him, truly, truly, I say to you that unless one is born again, somebody say born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so you could just imagine this boggled this man's mind. He was a religious person. He kept the law. He kept the traditions. He, in his mind, he was right. But Jesus turns and tells him, unless you, sir, are born again, unless you, sir, receive new life, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so this, more, this afternoon, this message stands for us as well. That if we have not been born again of the Spirit, we cannot be in God's presence. We do not have eternal life. But because of sin in our personal life, we are destined for destruction. But God's mercy and grace has made a way for each and every one of us that if we put our faith in Christ and we receive the work that he did for us on that cross, we shall be saved. Amen? We were born once a sinner. We were born once into this body of death, this flesh that we have here. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're born again. And let me tell you, that is a life you can't fake. You can't fake the funk when you're a Christian. Amen? You just cannot. You're transformed from the inside out. He changes the way you think, the way you see, the way you act. So yes, you confess with your mouth. You believe in your heart that he is Lord. But let me tell you, your actions follow because you begin this relationship with Jesus, this love relationship that because you love him, you don't want to sin anymore. If that's you this morning, you're saying, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Today is the day for your salvation. God knows you. He knows you by name. He knows the details of your life more than you even know yourself. He knows your deepest, darkest secret. And if you don't know him, you don't come to him and humble yourself be before him, you are considered an enemy of God. But he still extends his hand to you and he says, come and I will make you clean. Come and I will make you righteous. Come and I will restore you. Amen? That is the God that we serve. He sees the depths of our heart, and he doesn't deny that we're not right, but he's made a way because of his mercy and grace over our lives. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray. If that's you, 
you just want to open up your heart to the Lord. We're going to have some prayer workers here on the side so they can pray with you. If you want to make that choice and surrender your life to Jesus, today is the day. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for mercy and grace. We thank you because you made a way. We didn't deserve it, but because you loved us, you sent your one and only son to die on that cross for our sins, that whoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. So, Father, today I ask, dear God, that you would touch hearts, that you would tug on hearts if they don't know you, that they would humble themselves before you, call out on the name of Jesus and be saved. I pray for born-again spirits this morning, and I pray for disciples to arise, dear God, to not just keep to themselves but to go out into the world and share the good news. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen and amen please stand to your feet with me we're about ready to recite our confession of faith this is something we do every week this is our biblical worldview we stand on these statements and we're going to recite this together like an army are you guys ready all right i'm going to count to three i want to hear you okay one two three i believe in one god and creator who is the father son and the holy spirit the father who so loved the world the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Amen. Well, please take some time right now to greet your neighbor, meet somebody new. If you need prayer, our friends are right here for you. Thank you.
All right, everyone. So good to have you all here once again. My name is Pastor Griselda. Good to see you. If you guys could just find a seat. Welcome to MPI. Did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah? Good. Yes, we did too. A lot of food, a lot of blessings, so much to be thankful for. Um, so thank you for joining with us here at MPI. We have Sunday services 10 and 1 p.m. With always, we have our child care provided in the back. Fridays, we have our Elevate Youth Service taking place at 7 p.m. for youth ages 11 to 18 years old. So Elevate, let me hear you. What? What? Yes. And I want to give you some announcements. This is what's going on this month. So December 20th, we have our special Christmas presentation. It's called A Tribute to the King. It's going to be a beautiful time, powerful time where we can come share the word of, of Jesus Christ and have a tribute to the King by displaying our talents to the Lord. And so that's going to be taking once again December 20th. Check out our Facebook event page. Hit going. Invite your family members. Invite your friends. It's a powerful time to evangelize to those who don't know the Lord. And my next announcement is our Christmas family fun night. December 23rd, 6.30 p.m. here at the church. We're going all out with games, crafts, gifts for all the children, and raffles. Again, bring out the kiddos. Bring yourself if you don't have any kids and just have a good time with us. We're going to be celebrating here. And so right there at the bottom it says gift donations for the children may be dropped off now until December 20th. Please talk to Pastor Susie or myself if you saying, hey, I want to wrap a little something up and give it away to one of the kiddos. Amen? And so here at NPR, our vision is to love God and to love, it's to love God and to love, yes, the two greatest commands, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so everything we do flows from that. And this is how we operate here at MPI. We have a discipleship strategy. The first part is to get you connected to Jesus, right? Because that's the reason why we're here. The next one is to get you connected to life groups. So pull out your life group, pamphlet right here, brochure announcement notes we have every single life group that we have to offer here at MPI we have something for everyone so make sure you take a look at that get connected I see some faces here I've never seen at my Bible study so come join us Fridays at 7 p.m. all right we got the Walker Bible study we got the marriage life group uh-huh we want to get you guys connected okay because we're not just about you know coming on Sunday mornings and seeing you go we want to share life with you so please check us out here's what's going on this week Tuesday, we have our Resistance Life Group, 11 to 18 years, here at the church, 6 p.m. Uh, Wednesday, Righteously Redeemed Youth Group meeting at the church at 6 p.m. Wednesday, we have King's Kids for our kiddos, infant to 11 years of age, meeting at 6.30. Uh, Thursday, we got our, our gang outreach meeting at that address right there, 18 years and up, hitting up the, the streets of Chicago, going different places and ministering to the lost. Um, those who are in gangs. And then Fridays, we got our Bible studies happening at the Govea's and the Walker's Bible study. That's taking place at 7 p.m. Saturday, we also have our Ambassador Youth Group, 3 p.m. There you go. Somebody's excited. And Saturday, we also have our evangelism team meeting here, 5 p.m. Let me tell you guys, it's powerful. Check out all of the Facebook pages. You know, we stay updated. And this, uh, yesterday, they had 20 people out on the streets sharing the gospel. Amen. You know what? That is powerful. Our city is going through some tough times right now, you know, and it's crazy out there. But what's going to change them is the gospel. So join up with one of these life groups. They all go out evangelizing throughout the week. And so get connected. Somebody say get connected. All right. The second part is to get mentored. We want to walk with you 
through your journey with Jesus. We want to mentor you, teach you the basics, the fundamentals, and have that accountability with you. So there is an elder or a deacon who will meet with you at a time that's convenient with you and go through this book with you. And after you're done with the 101, somebody say 201 right here. And so this is a disciple, it's called Disciples That Make Disciples. It's a less, it's a, a book to train you up how to be a leader so that you can get sent out. We want to send you out to change the world. Amen. It's not just about the leaders, the pastors, the preachers. It's about you and me, all of us working together so that we can impact the world around us. Amen. And then we have a goal of 100,000 disciples here in the city of Chicago, 50 churches here and 500 all around the world. Amen. God is good. God is good. And we're all a part of that. And so what we're going to do now is get into our tithes and offerings. We are in the last section of the book. We've been talking about hindrances. We're in lesson six. Lesson number six, overcoming bitterness. Ouch. Bitterness. Come on, we're going to talk about it today. Okay. So we've been talking about hindrances, things that come between us obeying God's commands, right? That is what a hindrance is. And so bitterness can definitely be something that will hinder us from obeying what God has for us. And so if you turn in your Bibles to James 3.14, it says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it and do not deny the truth. Amen? So if you are a person that has bitter envy and selfish ambition don't boast about it like yeah i'm angry i'm upset I, you know so and so hurt me and did this to me and then also don't deny the truth don't try to hide it because bitterness is like the bait of satan and is very destructive and because we can't see it from the outside you know you can't have a brother or sister tell you hey you got bitterness you know because they can't see it it's a it's a hidden sin and, and so what you have to do you have to be open to asking god hey do i have this in my heart because if you do you want to get it out amen and so here let's describe what bitter envy means bitter envy can come into a person's heart when they think god has been unfair to them by blessing others bitterness refers to being angry and envy relates to jealousy so maybe you're a person who's upset because you're not being blessed like your neighbor Okay, you're, you're not happy because so-and-so is prospering in this area and you're not. And then jealousy comes in. The next part is selfish ambition. Anything we do or desire outside of God's plan for our lives comes from pride. And it appears in selfish ambition. Selfishness refers to being self-centered instead of being God-centered. And ambition is, is our wants and desires. So we don't want selfish ambition. We want just exactly what God has for us. So number three, don't harbor bitter envy or selfish ambition. Make a decision to, to not allow bitter envy or selfish ambition to dwell in your heart. Amen? And so in summary, avoid bitterness by being Christ-centered and believing God will provide for you. Amen? Get it out. If you feel like you have a root of bitterness, you want to be open, you want to confess it to the Lord and not let it hinder you because that's not going to help you grow. It's actually going to hold you back from what God has for you. So how do you apply this to your life? When it comes to finances, number one, be faithful in giving your tithes and offerings. What is a tithe? 10% 10 of your total income. And your offering is anything that you give to the Lord after that. So number two, be, repent if you have allowed bitterness to come into your heart and bring envy or selfish ambition. And lastly, ask God to remind you of his precious promises for your life. Amen. Please stand to your feet. We're going to recite this over ourselves this morning, this afternoon. 
One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Amen. So once again, here at MPI, anytime you give your tithes and your off your tithes, it goes to the general fund, it pays for the bills, it takes care of this house. And anytime you give after that, you can designate where that offering goes, whether to the building fund or to the missions fund. Amen. And so you know that you you are putting your money exactly where you want it to go. And so if you, there it is right there. So 10% of your total income, and then you get to choose missions or building offering. And then also you can feel free to give online, or if you want to give here at the church with your credit card, please talk to myself or Pastor Jerry right there. Just raise your hand, and uh, we can help you. If you wanted to buy books, T-shirts, hoodies, anything like that, we can help you. Let's recite this scripture together, Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give, and it will be given to you. The measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you so much for every blessing that you've given us. We thank you that we're taken care of, dear God, and you don't hold back any good thing from your children. So we pray for blessings upon each and every person. If there's bitterness in our hearts, selfish ambition or envy, Father, take it out because we do not want that bait inside of our hearts. Set your children free, dear God, and I pray that we would be blessed to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Thank you so much and come up as you give. Amen. If you're ready to love Jesus, can I get a hallelujah? Amen. Welcome to church. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 15. Man, Rachel is amazing on the keys today. Did you guys enjoy her worship? Let's give it up for Rachel. Rachel. Oh, so much better than the first service. So much better. No, I'm just kidding. Half kid. No, I'm really kidding. I'm really kidding. I'll get in trouble. Like They'll be like thinking I'm serious. No, but it was awesome. It was awesome. I really needed that. Those walls are so thin back there. So as I'm getting ready, um, I just, oh, I felt Jesus. I wanted to get out here as soon as I could. But as you'll see, I had to add some things to my notes, um, some, some funny things that I came up with in the first service. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But let me give you guys a report about my wife. She is doing better. So if you haven't been with us for a while, the long story short is last Saturday we got into a car accident. A person ran a red light, totaled our car, hit it on Nancy's side, the front passenger side, and Nancy had to go to the hospital and uh, get some emergency braces put on with the pins in her leg so that the uh, healing of the tissue could come, that they could do the main surgery, which is putting the two plates inside of her ankle. And uh, so the surgery was done uh, last Sunday, 
She came home Monday. She's been doing great. The swelling is going down. And now here's the big thing we're praying for is that she can get the surgery this week. So if everybody could just pray with us, I'm going to pray now that we can see her recover, be back up on her feet, literally back up on her feet, and that uh, her life will get back to normal. And so we're so thankful, though, for your prayers and all that you guys have done thus far. And I just want to thank you for that. And also for God sparing us and doing all the good that's come out of this. And uh, we're just thankful. And as I said last week, if I would have met Jesus in that car because I was driving, I was ready to meet Jesus. So I wanted that to be my testimony to all the nurses or the people I meet at the hospitals and even to you guys obviously at the churches. You all need to be ready to meet Jesus, okay, because no one's promised tomorrow. You heard about the one lady. She was meet, uh, waiting at the bus stop, and the bus driver poof, just hits her and kills her right there at the bus stop. Do you all remember hearing about that? That was real. That You all didn't remember that? Do I have to start preaching now? Come on. I'm going to show you right now this woman getting hit by a bus. Seriously. Yeah, it sounds funny. Lord, help me. Chicago woman hit by bus. Oh, that's that was another joke thing. Okay. So this happened June 3rd, 2015. Uh, this precious lady right here, woman killed by CTA bus, had been planning daughter's wedding. Isn't that sad? And just right there, she must have been downtown. That looks downtown, doesn't it? Michigan Avenue and Lake Street. Uh, here's this precious woman. I mean, literally, you know, it's, it sounds funny, but, I mean, she's literally standing there at the bus stop, boom, and, and there goes the bus right over her. And time to meet Jesus. Time to meet Jesus. That's the real world, right? Paris, everybody was at a concert. They were doing whatever they were doing. Crazy people came in, you know. Imagine you're working in the World Trade Center, you know, down there in New York, uh, downtown Manhattan. Crazy people do stuff. You are on the plane. I mean, just you, you just can't picture how many crazy ways you can die in this world now. There's just too many, and we're not supposed to worry about that, okay? Look at your neighbor and say, don't worry. Be happy. Amen. We're not supposed to be afraid of death. And that was my point, by the way. My point was I wasn't afraid to die. So as the car was spinning and we were hitting and all of that stuff was happening, I was ready to meet Jesus. So let that be our testimony to you guys today that uh, we should all be ready to meet Jesus. Amen. Let's pray for my wife. Uh, Lord, we thank you today that you're doing great things in her uh, life, Lord, Nancy's ankle. We pray that you will continue to bring the swelling down, favor with the doctor so we can get the surgery this week. We thank you for my mother-in-law who's been helping and my mom who's coming in this week as well and all the people in the church who have helped us. And, Lord, I don't want to be selfish only praying for our needs. I, I pray for the other needs represented in this church, some that come to mind, like Jerry's brother Dale who uh, has now, his cancer has come back, and it's worse than ever at stage four. We pray for you to intervene for her. He's a father and a husband, and he needs you, God, at this time. And for all the others that may be going through situations that I can't recall at this moment, God, you know that we need you in this church. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. And so, you know, sometimes we understand how things work for good. Like I can see the good coming out of this accident. Well, the first thing is, is I'm literally waiting on my wife hand and foot. And, uh, you know, that's a good thing, right? My wife needs me to serve her. So that's something that's good that has come out of it. And then Ricky and Rachel, as they came to visit us, they took it to the next level. They brought me, uh, brought her a little, little bell, a little thing like that, which I have now hidden from her where she cannot find. I put it up on a shelf way up here, and I say, good luck trying to get it. 
Uh, no, but anyways, they gave her a little bell. So I'm serving my wife. There's good that comes out of it, but, you know, like with cancer and things, sometimes we don't see it in this world. So what I believe is we will see the human history when we get to heaven, and we'll see how God used the evil and the pain and the trauma for our good and for his glory. And the way I was looking at it, because I'm kind of like into sci-fi stuff, is um, a lot of times when you watch like these movies, like a Star Wars, there are plots that unfold as you get into the next one, and then you get into the next one, and then you see these things unfold, and then at the end it's like, oh, it's a happy ending, you know? And I really believe when we get to heaven, we're going to be like, oh, man, this was a happy ending. Because here's just one thing to think about. If we were all going to die anyways because of sin, if God allows how we die to bring us closer to him, then that will mean more in eternity than just temporary pleasure here. So if our deaths give us more insight to how much we need him, like cancer, so devastating to the body, doesn't that make you long for an everlasting body? Doesn't that make you long for heaven when you see people suffering of cancer? You know, that's what it does for me. It makes me say there's no hope in the flesh. When I see somebody dying of cancer, it doesn't make me want to get plastic surgery and go out shopping, right? So it shows me the death of humanity. And what do I look at when, when I see the resurrection of Christ? When I see the resurrection of Christ, I see the hope of humanity. So if you would put the body at its deathly, at its, its most, you know, uh, place of death, you know, AIDS, uh, cancer, and then you put Christ's resurrection, you can see the distinction now. And remember, we're the ones, humanity, that shows good and evil. And so if God has allowed that to happen, to show us what evil looks like in the body, not that the cancer victim has sinned, but sin has caused sickness, okay? That's what the Bible teaches, not that their personal sin caused it, but by our, by our rebellion to God, we lost the umbrella of his divine health. So when we look at this, we can see the glory of God. That, that's at least how I see it. When I look at your lives and people tell me about the pain that they've been through, and then I see God transform them, I can see that here on, on this earth. Otherwise, I think we might be deceived more by sin. And, and look how, just by the way, look how deceived people are right now by sin. This will be a whole other message. This is the message I preached to my staff yesterday, uh, the church staff. But think about this. Jesus came into this world in a time when you, you buried your own dead, okay? So just think about Jesus' time. It's kind of like Little House on the Prairie, if we can go back to that in our mind. Okay, so imagine your child dies. You build a box and you bury them in the field. That's, that's what you do with your child. Your mom dies. Your mom, you know, is old. Your mom lives with you. You watch your mom die. You build the box and you put her in the back. That, that's how they did it. You had somebody in your family that was mentally ill and they could not get help and they were a danger to your children. You put them out in the wilderness and you would go out and bring them food every now and then and they might gather and start colonies like leper colonies or these little mini insane asylums that they would start out there. That's how the ancient world was, whether we like it or not. That's all they knew to do. If you had broken bones and you couldn't move a lot and you lived in a little village, they would set you where all the other, uh, um, all the other crippled people would be, like the Pool of Bethesda. Now think about this. Jesus enters into that world. In a world where you didn't have aspirin to take away every headache, where you didn't have a closed casket, where you didn't have a place where somebody else buried your loved ones, Jesus entered into a world where death, pain, and suffering was right in front of people. And what does he do? He goes up to the place where they're taking their child to go bury him, and they, he heals the child. 
He goes to the place where the leper colony is, and he heals 10 of the lepers right there. He goes to the place where they put the crazy man in chains and he kept breaking out and he goes and he heals them. He goes to the place where they put the crippled just so they could have something to do during the day. He goes to that place and he heals them, right? So what is he teaching us? He comes into our pain. He comes where we are at and he brings us healing. But now think about this as well. Those same people he healed eventually die, right? Lazarus got raised from the dead, but is old Laz hanging out around here today? Is he still alive? He eventually died. But now understand the mindset that Lazarus would have when he's facing death this second time. What mindset would he have? The mindset he would have is, God's with me. I'm not scared of this. I know what's going to happen. What about the man who got crippled? He still had to die. What did he die of next? Maybe it was influenza. What you know? What's the, the thing that happened? Right? What did he die of? That child that Jesus raised from the dead, that child eventually dies. When they were dying, what mindset do you think they had now? We're not afraid of death. We know God is with us. We know God's going to take care of us. And so what do we see God doing in the midst of our evil world? We see him bringing life and giving us hope beyond the scope of what we can see, okay? So now in our world, we get to live a little bit longer. They live to be about 40-something. We live to be about 70-something. And we paint up our lives so much with makeup and clothes and costumes that we think we're not in the world that Jesus came to. So we can put away people in hospitals. We can do this with our handicapped friends and, you know, give them a wheelchair and things like this. Uh, but we don't understand that suffering. Suffering is still suffering. Pain is still pain. My wife's body is still in pain, despite the, the pain medicine, still in pain. And what's the hope? The hope is, is that Jesus changes her. The hope is that one day her body gets resurrected like Jesus' body, and she lives forever with Christ. That's the importance of the resurrection. So what I would just say as my second part of the introduction to the introduction is do not let your momentary suffering in this world cloud who Jesus is because it used to be a lot worse than it is right now and he still shined brighter than the darkness. And so even now, if you face the hor most horrible situation, cancer, uh, a car accident, tragedy, death, do not let this take away your hope in Jesus because he says, I can handle this. I can handle leper colonies. I can handle all of this, and I'll meet you up there. And we always have to remember, we are up there a lot longer than we are down here. So going back to that point that I was making, God weaving his plan throughout human history, we see that God is working it for our good, and if we trust and obey him, our faith has, an, has a reward. And the reward that we get is we get peace. So going back to my wife with the car accident, I can have peace in the midst of this right now, or I can try it on my own and go get high right? Go get high. A lot of my friends would be doing that right now. Go get high. Or I could do something that's not as criminal. I could just go spend a lot of money. I could go make money, spend money, and put myself into my career, right? That's how people try to cover the pain of their life. I could go and make a lot of friends. I could go to a club. I could go keep doing higher education, hide myself in education. But what is going to give me true peace? Having Jesus. And Jesus makes me deal with the problem. I can't overlook it. I can't just say, well, this is not a problem. No, i got to deal with the problem, and instead of getting bitter, I get better. I don't get bitter at God and say, God, why didn't you stop the car that day? I'm a pastor. Don't you know this is my wife? She loves God. No, I don't get bitter. I get better. Uh, uh, how about this as a story? A pastor's wife, last week, the man went to go work out. The criminals saw that he left. They went into the pastor's home, raped the wife, and then killed her in front of the child. Am I any better than that pastor? 
Could that not have been my life? Could that not have been your life? What makes you any better than those people? Do we so naively think only bad things happen to bad people? Don't bad things happen to good people? Right? So how do we deal with that? We deal with that through a whole other message I preached about called Trusting the Gardener. And that's why I'm kind of speaking about this today because it's really overflowing from my heart. Because I mean, just imagine this. I preach a message on Sunday, Trusting the Gardener, and I end it by saying your worst day still may be ahead. Do you, you all remember that? And I say God may be preparing you for tragedies that lie ahead. And yes, he'll use it for your good. And then, look, my worst day comes ahead of me. That's like drop mic right there, isn't it? Think about that. My worst day comes ahead of me, and I'm telling you guys to be ready for it. And then while we get into the accident, while we're crossing into the intersection, I'm talking to her about the very exact things I'm talking about now. I was talking to her about how God uses all things for his good. I was talking about how we have to trust him through our hardships. And she was literally talking to me when she said, look, the car hasn't stopped and coming into our lane. So I don't have to uh, prove it to you that God is bringing me peace because the only proof I need is the peace of my heart. But what you have to do from this kind of experience that I've had that I'm sharing with you is you have to learn to walk in that peace yourself. So when your day of trouble comes, what are you going to do? And just look at this scripture. Everybody go to John chapter 16, and uh, we'll go to the Bible. Is it okay if we go to the Bible? Amen. How many like the Bible? You're all so used to my notes. You're not used to me talking without notes, man. Look at that. That's, that's crazy. Y'all should be liking when I get off my notes. How many like when I preach a little bit from the heart, amen, directly from the oven, from the heart? Look at this. It's not rambling, is it? Are you guys getting what I'm saying? Amen. Look at this in John 16, one of my favorite scriptures right here. Got it highlighted. Look at what it says. I have, John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have, you may have what? Come on, say it like you're up. You may have peace in this world you will have trouble but take heart I have overcome the world I think I just got to sit down for a minute because you know what I am not the kind of pastor that can be fake you know what I'm saying I just can't be fake so I am not going to let this message that God just put on my heart for the last whatever five minutes I was talking 10 minutes I don't know sometimes I lose track of time without y'all getting this because this has got to be for somebody this has got to be for somebody are you ready to face the troubles of your life? I mean, are you ready? Because we always come to church thinking, I just want us to pause and get this, we always come to church thinking it's going to go good. I'm a Christian. You know that the first funeral that I preached was for my mother? The first one, uh, not my mother, praise God, my mother's still alive. My sister, sister, that's who it was. Can you believe that? My first, I never even done a funeral. I, I was in Bible college. My sister died drinking and driving. And my mom was like, you want to do it? And I go, okay. Can you imagine that as a new preacher? I've only been a Christian myself for like a year and a half. My mom's sitting on the front row, and I'm preaching my guts out about how we can trust God in times of sorrow. I'm an 18, 19-year-old kid. What in the world do I know about that? But I knew God's word was true, you know? And so often, I think, when we go through problems, we forget that this is part of the plan, that problems are part of the plan. 
that, uh, you know, in our minds, uh, we can almost be OCD with our life, and we just want everything in its proper place, and this and this and that, and I can relate to that, you know, you don't want any interference, you got to be at this place at this time, you're not anticipating a car accident, right, your, your mother, hello somebody, your mother is going to be in your wedding, your mother's going to be in your wedding, you, you got her dress, it's, it's time to have mom be in my wedding. This is, this is what we've talked about since I was a kid. Phone call. What? What happened? Are you sure? It's my mom? You're kidding. No. Can you imagine the phone call? I mean, how do you even do that? I mean, how do you get a phone call like that? Your mom just got killed by a CTA bus. I, I can't go to the hospital and see her. No, we're taking her to the morgue. I can't tell her about the dress I just, no, it's over. What was the last thing you said to her? I don't remember. You know, whatever, you know, that's it. That's life. And I think so often we as Christians, we don't want to acknowledge this. And so I'm going to move on to the sermon, okay? I won't preach longer. I'll try to summarize. I actually was going to tell the guys in the back, I think we're going to be shorter today, so maybe the Lord is using this to put it all together, I don't know. But I just feel my heart to share that with you guys, because it's such a heavy revy for me, and I can't take it as an accident that I am preaching on trusting the gardener, saying what I'm saying in those messages, and then these things happen. This has to be more than just for me. It has to be for our congregation to understand how to deal with pain and suffering. We need to, as Christians, be able to identify with this woman's pain, with the victim of the, the murder, the nine-year-old kid, the, or the other one, the guy got shot 16 times, McDonald's. We as a church need to be able to identify with people's pain. We don't have to make up like sympathy and say, oh, yeah, I totally get it. I know what it's like to lose your mom getting hit by a CTA bus because, yeah, my mom once had to go to the hospital because she had a cold. No, like we're not like faking our sympathy, but I think we need to be able to identify and go, God is in the midst of this. So if somebody goes, Where's God? Where, where was God when this woman was there at that, at that bus stop? We could say God was right there. God was right there. And if you would say, well, what do you mean? He let that happen? God has allowed evil to happen, yes, but God has brought comfort to anyone who comes to him. And if she had been living for Jesus, she would receive comfort in her time of death. Death would have no sting, and she'll be in heaven right now. What's the other solution? If she didn't know Jesus, where does she go according to the Bible? Now, is that Jesus' fault? Do you think she's heard about Jesus before in her life? So if she hasn't repented and asked Jesus into her heart, whose fault is that? But now she goes to heaven and says, God, but I didn't know I was going to die that day. Don't you know I was going to go to church on Easter and make it right with you? God, don't you know that I was going to go to church on Christmas because I'm a Christer? I go to church on Christmas and Easter. Don't you know, God, that I was going to do that? You see, the Bible teaches us through the parables of Jesus that we always have to be ready for death. That goes back to that part that I was sharing with you. When Jesus came into the world and he was talking to them, they understood that. Oh, you mean we have to be ready to meet you? Just like how my, my son got sick two months ago and now we're burying him? Because that's how fast he's died of his sickness? That was just 100 years ago in America. People were dying all the time. They would get influenza. It, it, simple things were killing children. Hello, chicken pox. Could you imagine that? As a mother, if you were a mother in the 1900s, you would have been accustomed to burying a certain percentage of your children. 
half of your children, a fourth of your children, would not make it past three years old. And, and what are we saying? Where is Jesus? Jesus is in the midst of that. Some of the strongest Christian faith we see is in the places where the pain is the, heart, the hurt. The hurt and the pain is the greatest. You think right now in the place like Syria where they're being beheaded, do you think right now they trust God less than Americans who can't come to church on Sunday if it's whatever Thanksgiving weekend? Hello? They trust God more. You know, Corey Tim Boone, one of my favorite ladies, she was one of those that helped uh, hide the, uh, the people during the... Um, the Holocaust, I think it was in uh, Netherlands, one of those places that uh, they had taken over, the, the communists, and then her family got caught and arrested and died in concentration camps. Could you imagine that? But Corey Tim Boone said some of the most beautiful quotes that I've ever read in my life about enduring suffering and trusting God. Some of you guys might have seen these on Facebook. Tell me if you've ever seen any of these. These are powerful, and then I'll get into the message. Look at some of these quotes. They're amazing. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. So when we're worrying about how I'm going to die or what's going to happen to this person that's sick in my life, if we get into worry, we are emptying today of its strength. Because God said, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough concerns. How about this one? Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Come on, do you know how you're going to die? I mean, we're in church. We should be honest with life and death. Not morbid, not sick, not twisted, but we not depressing, but we should be honest. Do, we, do any of us know how we're going to die? I mean, only the suicidal person knows how they're going to die. So what do we do? We trust our unknown future to the God we know. You know, I was watching when I was at uh, the zoo, I saw an older woman with a stroke that was paralyzed being pushed by her daughter. Could that be you in your old age? You may do all of these things, live a vegan lifestyle, be healthy, not have high cholesterol, and that may only mean that you live 10 years in a paralyzed stroke, whereas the someone who enjoyed all of these things in their life, they only live a year in the paralyzed stroke. So you did all of that life-saving, all of that health-saving, so that now you can last longer in your paralyzed stroke. Has anybody ever seen anybody paralyzed from a stroke that needs to be wheeled around, right? Do you know, this will, I'll explain something to you in a minute about when God called me to preach, but let me just share this with you and I'll get back to, to preaching what I have to say. This is what the past is for. Every experience God gives us, every person he puts in our lives, look at this, is the perfect preparation for the future that only he can see. So all the things that you and I have suffered, I believe God are using for us. And then one more time, let me get another good one about worrying and all of you know, not letting these things uh, affect us. This one's my favorite. I have it on my desk. And the lawyer who is doing our case, because we have to have a lawsuit, obviously, when there's this much injury to protect our, our property and interest and all of that. I showed him this, and he took a picture of it because I said, brother, this is for you. I said, you need to understand this in life because he's a lawyer that deals with personal injury. Look at this. This is what she said. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, try to look within yourself, you'll be depressed if you look at God, you'll be at rest. Now, let me share this with you before we go into our message, just to maybe help you understand this. I was called to preach in a nursing home. 
I was a newly saved Christian. I was delivering pizzas at a pizza place like, hey, dude, all right, man, I'll drop off the pizza for you, man. I used to use my job to do a lot of bad things in life. I got a lot of quick cash that way through the tips, and I used to do a lot of bad stuff. So now I'm a Christian. I'm delivering pizzas. And one of the places I have to go is a nursing home. Some of the workers, the nurse's aide, uh, need their pizzas. So I come in with the pizzas, and as I'm coming in, I see a woman very similar to the kind I described that I saw at the zoo, had a stroke of some kind, was paralyzed, could barely move, and she reaches out her hand to shake mine, and as she goes to do that, I go to reach out my hand, you know, wherever I'm holding the pizza, I just try to put out my other hand, and the nurse's aide go, no, 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 stop, don't touch her, she'll bite you. She'll bite you. She's crazy. That's what they say. And I'm like, man, I don't care. You have no idea where I have been in life. I will take my risk with this woman. I set down the pizza, and I just come over to her, grab her hand, take it by the wheelchair, and I go, hey, how are you doing? I just want to tell you Jesus loves you. You got to understand, man. I had Just weeks ago, months ago, I don't know, like four or five weeks ago, I was on drugs. I was hurting people. I was a bad person. And within moments, just compassion, Jesus living on the inside of me, I'm reaching out to this woman. I go sit in my car, and instantly the Lord speaks to me. And he says, I have called you to touch hurting people. And I want you to reach out and tell them I love them, and don't let anybody stop you. And tears started coming down my eyes, and I believe it was because of that nursing home, me seeing the end of life, what it looks like. All of us, I mean, I don't want to scare you guys, but if all of us get to live a long, healthy life, we will be like that, like the story of the notebook. We'll either lose our mind, we'll lose our faculties of our body. Very few of us will be able to just die healthy. Most of us will die long deaths in pain. Think about that. Go to a nursing home and see how people die. I have a nurse here. Am I telling the truth? Most of us, and please stop snapping your gun who's ever doing that. Most of us will die long, painful deaths. If you get a short death, you'll be happy. As a matter of fact, cancer used to be celebrated in the ancient world because it was a quick death compared to the other diseases that would eat away at you over time. They were actually happy that, because, you know, as you see t today's culture, you can have cancer and nobody know, like my, like Dale's stage four came back, Jerry's uh, brother, it comes back. They didn't even know, and now it's that life for death scenario. A lot of people in the ancient world applauded that for them. They're like, well, thank God you don't have to be around much longer because they saw what these other diseases would do to them over, over a period of time. Are you with me? So my point is this. The glory of God, the, the, the glory of man will fail, but the glory of God will never fail. Let us be ready to meet Jesus. The glory of man will fade. How many believe that? But the glory of God will, li will uh, prosper. Look at this. For all people are like grass. Look at your neighbor and say, you're just like grass. Didn't you, aren't you so happy you came to church today to hear that? You are probably so encouraged right now. For all people are like what? Grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail. All the beautiful women here. You know, all you have to do is like look back at like Liz Taylor. The people used to be beautiful like 30, 40, 50 years ago. And then you look at them as they go to, to meet Jesus as their body deteriorates. All beauty fails. All, all of our glory fails. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And then let me give you the scripture I gave to my grandmother before she passed. Um, temporary suffering eternal weight of glory. How many believe there's an eternal weight of glory for the suffering we have in this world? You know, um, 
I always get so deep when I think about how God uses everything for the good, but this, this scripture just makes it so simple. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And that word trouble there, as you can see, I'll get to a uh, more older translation as I uh, learned it, like in the King James, says for our light and momentary affliction, our momentary suffering works for us an exceedingly an eternal weight of glory. And so what we learn in the Bible is that what we would call now life is like the shadow lands. It's like we're living under the shadow of death. We feel the pain of this world. And if we stop denying it and stop being entertained and stop putting makeup on it, we can see we are in a world of death and pain and sorrow and disappointment. But in this place, if we trust God and believe in him, we will have a weight of glory that will be eternal that will outlast our pain. That will outlast the pain. So God turns it for his good. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So let me go to the message now that I was going to preach today. Does anybody want to hear that? I mean, I could just close out right now and go to my wife, but does anybody want to hear the message? Amen. Somebody's like, just go home, Pastor. Go take care of her. Let's open up our Bibles to John 15. I hope that encouraged somebody, man, because that certainly has encouraged me. If I was sitting in a church and somebody was telling me that message that I just told you right now, I would say, thank you, I needed to hear that. John 15, 1 through 10, we're going to look about being already clean. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, I have some good thoughts to give you. Whenever you see the word abide, everybody shout out abide. Okay, here we go. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Thank you. Neither can you unless you abide in me. You guys are awesome. Let's keep going. Verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing if anyone does not abide in me is cast out as a branch and is withered they gather them up and throw them into the where the fire and they are burned if you abide in me and my words abide in you you will ask what you desire and it shall be done by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples as the father has loved me I have also loved you abide in my love if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just I have just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love what's the word there Abide ten times. You guys have been learning it. It's five weeks in November, so you guys have read it five times. And guess what? We're going to read it four more times in December, so come next month. Amen? It's good. I hope you memorize it. Now, when we're looking at the illustration, we've seen this before. It's very simple. You get it. Jesus is the vine, which is this big brown part right here. We are the branches, these lush green things that come from the vine, and the Father wants us to bear much fruit. What does the Father do as the gardener? He prunes things like this these leaves right here that don't bring life but distract or take away from what the tree needs to do. And next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about being pruned. Now, if you see when we read this passage, there was a portion right here that we've been reading every week and probably slips by most of us, but this is where I want to focus on today. You are already clean. Think about this. In the midst of this discussion, Jesus says to them, you are already clean. 
Now, John is the gospel writer here, and he writes very chronological with the life of Jesus. So I want you to understand right now where this is taking place. John 14, 15, and 16 is one talk from Jesus that probably took place either at the Last Supper while he's sitting at the table or on their way to Gethsemane while he was uh, going to pray and get betrayed. So I want you to see the context now, learning that you are already clean. And so turn with me to John 13 which is the actual time of the Lord's Supper, you will see that Jesus uses this terminology about being clean while he's washing their feet. Now here it is, John 13, 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. How many can say he loved me to the end? Amen. He will never give up on you. Say he loved me to the end. Amen. So whatever your end is, he will love you to that end. How many like the story of the notebook? He loved her to the end, didn't he? Isn't that a precious story? Do you know that all love stories point us back to God, the ultimate love story? Do you know that all heroic stories point us back to God, the ultimate hero? Think about that. The evening meal was in progress. This is the Last Supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So understand this. Jesus had good self-identity. He knew who he was. He knew who he was. The question you're going to start to see is, do you know who you are? But he uh, gets up from the meal, takes off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. He knew who he was, but he knew that, that his identity would not change in his service. He didn't need a title to switch with this towel. He could have the identity and still have a towel. And the problem is a lot of people, they let their situations dictate their identity, and you need to know who you are despite the situations you're in. Sometimes God may call you to work at McDonald's and serve people hamburgers, but that doesn't change who you are. Jesus knew who he was, that he was the king of kings and lord of lords, but he didn't need to have that title. He could also put on a towel and serve people. And so we in the church, we need to have that mindset, not only here in this building, but on our job. I don't need a title. I just need a place to serve, and my gift will make room for me. If I serve good enough, long enough, God will favor me, and I can end up running this company. Because the people that will hire me, they will hire me and keep me based on my service. Now, if you're working for a bad company, go get in a good company where this still works, okay? Because I'm talking about pursuing a towel and not a title and know who you are and not think that, oh, that's beneath me. No, if you can serve and if you can better people's lives, it will be a part of your purpose and God will use it for your good. I could keep you here all day from both the Bible, like stories like Joseph and Daniel and others who had to serve before they got the notoriety. And I can show you examples in life through like Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., people who suffered, who served, and were willing to do it even though they knew in their identity they were better than that circumstance. They just didn't let it dictate their identity. Amen? You may be better than just flipping a hamburger, but you can still serve and flip a hamburger and not let that take away from your identity. When I had to start over, I know that I could have preached to a bigger church, but I had to start over here after we lost that other building, and I was willing to do it because I knew that that circumstance wasn't going to change my identity. Don't let anything change your identity. Amen? Know who you are. Jesus didn't change being Lord. That's my point. He was still Lord, but he was the Lord that was able to wash his disciples' feet. What a powerful example of servanthood. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, uh, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, this is Peter talking, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? 
Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And that's very true. He did not understand. Peter didn't. But we can't beat up Peter because Peter had a lot more understanding than the other disciples. When Jesus uh, was walking on the water and they all thought it was a ghost, Peter had enough sense to say, hey, that might be Jesus. And if that's you, Jesus, tell me to come to you. And then he walked on water with Jesus. Isn't that pretty awesome? Have you ever walked on water with Jesus? Probably not, right? So Peter's pretty cool. So let's not beat him up too much. And how about this? When Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? No disciple said anything. But Peter spoke up and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter knew who Jesus was. Now this was the confusion that Peter was facing. Why would the Christ, the son of the living God, wash my feet? Now we can understand why. It was because Christ was showing them that the way of the kingdom is servanthood. The way up is the way down. Those who are last will be first. The first will be last. He, he was showing them it's an upside-down kingdom. God's ways are not man's ways. So Peter looked at him in verse 8 and said, No, you shall never wash my feet. Why is Peter saying this? Because he thinks it's humble. How are you, the Lord of glory, going to wash my feet? Now, in our culture, we may not understand this, but feet washing then was for the lowest servant, the servant that you thought that didn't deserve to do anything else. And the way they washed feet wasn't like our clean feet that were in socks. Their feet were exposed with sandals on dirt roads where animals had their dung on the street. So feet would have mud, dirt, and animals feces and the servant that was respected the least would be told hey you wash feet and yet Jesus is saying I'm going to do it for you and Peter's like no way you shall never wash my feet see sometimes in life we think our ultra humility is pleasing to God but no ultra humility or false humility is just another form of pride when you don't let people help you, when you need help, that's pride. When you don't let people teach you, when you need to be taught, that's pride. You just being humble in a false way, saying, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. When things are not okay, that is pride. You need to be able to reach out at times and say, no, I need help. I'm not okay. And let people help you. That's one of the things that I've had to learn is that now I need help. And I have to let people help me. And one of those things is, no, I'm the pastor. I don't want people to think that I, you know, I'm here to use their giftings or whatever, and yet I had to understand I need to let people help my wife and I. So uh, Jesus answered and said, now unless I wash you, you have no part of me. So like, hey, unless I do this, Peter, you're, you're not getting in. Now look at what Peter says. Peter says, then Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Uh, Peter says, God, if it's all about getting washed, then just give me a bubble bath. Let's, let's just go all the way. Let me take off my coat now and come on down with you. And uh, let's have pure minds here. But, you know, like let me just jump in a bubble bath. And uh, you know what? Jesus says to him these words, which are important because they go back to John 15. Remember, John 13 happens before John 15. John 13 is the Lord's Supper. John 15 is somewhere after the Lord's Supper before Jesus' crucifixion. Look what Jesus says. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is what? Is clean. And you are what? Clean, though not every one of you. So now I want you to take this concept that Jesus is talking about here in his gospel. John is showing us that Jesus uses the word clean to represent salvation. Jesus taught that when we were born again, we were washed spiritually like in a bath, and we were already clean. So now in John 15, when he says, you're already clean, they're like, yeah, you already told me that at the Last Supper, I remember. And the problem is, is that sometimes clean people still get dirty. 
And so the example he then gives us of how clean people get dirty is at the Last Supper of having your feet dirty. You don't need a bath, but you need your feet clean. In the example of the John 15 in the, uh, the vineyard here, we're told that sometimes we need to be pruned. So even though Christ has changed our nature and cleansed us and made us clean, we as Christians sometimes may step in something that we ought not to and need to be clean, or we may have something grow out of us that don't belong like an attitude and need it to be snipped. But here now comes a confusion into the Christian's life. They now begin to confuse what it truly means to be cleansed in nature and yet still work on holiness in practice. So to be perfect in nature is what Christ is saying when we're cleansed. And to practice holiness is what he's talking about when we're having our feet washed and our branches pruned. And so what we need to do is clarify two misunderstandings that I see in the church that really mess up a lot of people when they try to understand how is it I have been made perfect in my nature but yet I can still sin and make mistakes. Well, the first problem that uh, misunderstanding that people come up with is this idea of unending sanctification. Now, I don't have time to get into all the details, but I'm going to show you some sunny, funny pictures and tell you it's not like this, okay? But that big word sanctification basically means to be made holy. So did Jesus say in John 15 and in John 13 at the Last Supper, did he say, you will be made holy or clean throughout your whole life as I give you a scrub down bubble bath? Is that what he said? No, he said, you are presently already clean. But what do a lot of you guys post on Facebook? What do a lot of other pastors teach? They teach that you start out dirty as a Christian, and God is just working on you the rest of your life, and that that is what sanctification is, and that is not true. And so the first example is they want to talk to you and say, now that you're with Jesus, your water has been brought to the water plant treatment of Jesus. You're not pure, you're not perfect, but for the rest of your life, you're going to be circling around in there, and God's going to get all the junk out of your life. Or the next example they may use is like the progress bar. You're progressing in your Christianity. You got saved, you were at 1% Christian. Now after a few years, you're at 60%, and your neighbor's at 80%. So look up to them because they're so much more spiritual than you. So in this situation, Ricky would be at 60, and I would be at 80. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, that's the idea is you're just chugga-chugga-chugga-choo-chooing along and your little progress bar is happening. Is that what Jesus said? You will be clean as a progress bar progresses through life? Is that what he said? You know, he said you are all ready. Boy, the first service helped me out a lot more than that. Thank you for those who helped me. Let's try it again. You are already clean. You start where you want to finish there. Now here's another one that gets on my nerves because this is this whole idea of Jesus is transforming me. He's changing me. He's changed my arms. He's changed my body. He hasn't changed my hips yet. I still get down at the club. But one day he'll change my hips. One day he'll change all of me. Here I am, I'm a part butterfly, I'm, I'm part this and that. And so what I call that is the centaur issue. I'm, I'm part sinner, I'm part saint, I, I'm part a holy person, and I'm part an evil person. 
I'm like a centaur. I'm part man. I'm part beast. See, that's how Christians in our world talk, and pastors propagate this lie because it fills their pockets up. Because the more I keep you at that place of dependence upon me, the more books I can sell you, the more sermons I can sell you. Instead of telling you the truth, you are who God says you are. You are already clean. So this is that first error that people make. They get into this idea that I'm going to continually go through this. Now, is that true? Of course it's not true. Just read the Bible. You've already heard him tell it twice there in John. But just for the sake of time, I'll go through these quickly. If you go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says to them, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do you see an LOL at the end? Do you see a J slash K? Just kidding? No, just kidding. Really, you're not going to be perfect, but I just thought that would be funny. <laughs> Is that a joke? No, it's not a joke. That's what Jesus said. Somebody say that's what he said. You go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Peter, uh, Peter uses the same kind of terminology, but instead of the word perfect, uses the word holy. Holy and perfect mean the same thing. It's character. It's who you are in nature. For it is written, be what? Holy, for I am holy. Does it say be a centaur because I am a centaur? Hello, because however Jesus is, is the way I'm supposed to be. Is this the way our God is? In all seriousness, I know it's funny, but let's now be serious. Is my God yin and yang, half evil and half good? Is it sometimes like, well, I don't know, God's a little shady today, man. I don't know, he's flipping gravity upside down on us. I don't know, <clears throat> I can't breathe. He's taking away my oxygen. He's messing with us. Is he part good and part evil? No, so if we are to be like God, we are to be 100% holy, for he is 100% holy. We are to be perfect, for he is perfect. Look at also 2 Peter, the, the, the same author here. Peter, he now talks about tasting and seeing that the Lord's divine nature is actually inside of us. Look at what it says here in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, it says in verse 4, through these we have been given very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the what? What kind of nature am I participating in? The divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Has this person escaped the corruption? I'm getting out of here. Two days later, just like an inch has changed. I'm getting out of here. No. Has he escaped the corruption? Has this image expressed to us an escaping of corruption? No, you are still in the corruption. Has this shown us that we are escaping corruption? I'm getting out of here, 61% holy. I'm getting out of here. No, the Bible says that those who are in Christ participate now in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world. And so what we realize is that there's a big misunderstanding in the body of Christ is who we are. And because of that demeaning behavior, we believe things that are not true. And if you have ever posted this, that's okay, I love you, but this is not true. These are the kind of posts we'll see on Facebook. When I, oh Lord help me, I'm not going to be silly on that. I was going to do a silly voice. When I, I was going to be like that, but I just, Lord, stop me. My wife, I can just see her look at me. Don't do that, Joe. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not shouting I have been saved. I'm whispering. I feel lost sometimes. That's why I choose this way. Some of you are like, well, what's wrong with that? There's a lot wrong with that. You should be shouting, I'm saved. I'm saved. How many people are saved? You don't have to whisper to yourself, I'm lost. I'm lost. Help me. 
No, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was once on my way to hell, but now I'm saved. When I say I'm a Christian, on the other side, I'm not claiming to be perfect. Well, what's wrong with you then? You jacked up? You you were still a sinner? Well, you should be claiming what Christ said about you. I know what they're saying. We're going to get to that in just a minute. They're, they're, they're saying, what they're trying to say is I don't always act like I should. I step in things that I shouldn't. I sometimes have things grow out of me that I shouldn't. But that's not what we should be saying. I'll tell you what we should be saying in a little bit, but we'll read this verse. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect, which is what Christ said I am. My flaws are too visible, but God believes I'm worth it. So here you get this little Dito sinner. Oh, you're just a Dito sinner. Oh, I just feel so sorry for you. Oh, you just can't help yourself. You love sin so much, Dito. Oh, you're going to be okay. You'll be okay. Do we say that to the murderer? I'm just a murderer. Oh, Dito, I know, I know. We're all sinners, Dito. We're all sinners. How does that work with the law? It doesn't work when you break the law. Well, we're all just sinners, police officer. We're all just, no, you're still going to jail. What should we say? And by the way, don't even get me on K-Love songs. I like K-Love, but I I just want to tear them up sometimes. Like, do you know who you are in Jesus? You are not who who you're saying you are. It's almost like you have to change the Bible to fit their song, you know. It's like almost, it's like you have to rewrite the Bible when Jesus says you're already clean. No, what he meant was you're really messed up. You're going to be messed up the rest of your life. You're going to cry and hurt and have tears and have pity patty parties. But one day I'm going to change you when I get to heaven. It's almost like country music for Christians. Get off that stuff. Listen to what the Word of God says. Amen? This is what we say. When I say that I am a disciple, I am not whispering I'm lost and still a sinner, but I'm shouting I have been saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When I say I'm a disciple, I don't speak of this with cultural shame and the pride of self-pity. I'm confessing that I have chosen to be perfect like my Heavenly Father is perfect and will preach and obey all His commands no matter what. Well, you're so self-righteous. Well, you're so not, okay? So the bottom line is you're so not right, and I'll be right, okay? But I am not self-righteous. I'm Christ-righteous. Amen. For I, when I say I'm a disciple, I'm not trying to be strong in my own religious strength or profess that I'm only weak in the flesh to appear humble, but rather I'm declaring by his power I can do all things through him who gives me strength, and his power is made perfect in my weakness. There are scriptures, by the way. What that person was writing comes from uh, Oprah Winfrey's books that you can buy. This is what the Bible says. When I say I'm a disciple, I'm not bragging about my self-righteous success. I'm admitting that because of Jesus, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, more than a conqueror, a giant slayer, a spiritual warrior, and a world changer. Now, y'all can say what you want to say. I'm lost. You can whisper that as much as you want, but this is what I'm saying. Amen? Could you just imagine that going? See, what did I tell you about false humility with Peter? Y'all didn't know where I was going with that. That false humility don't impress Jesus, y'all. That don't impress Jesus. Faith is what moves Jesus. I don't have enough time to talk about faith, moving the heart of God. 
When I say I'm a disciple, I'm not claiming to be perfect. Here's the better way of saying it. I'm not claiming to be perfect in all I do, but rather I'm saying that I have been saved perfectly, completely transformed, made a brand new creation, crucified to the flesh, dead to sin, given the mind of Christ, and any sin I may now commit, I am quick to repent so I can continually bring forth good fruit, being pleasing to my master. That's what I'm saying. Amen? Hallelujah. Mine is a lot longer than theirs, by the way. (laughs) When I say I'm a disciple, I may feel the sting of pain from this lukewarm Christian culture that wishes me to cool off in a sinful generation that wants me to be silent. However, I've decided to follow Jesus, though none follow. I will find people to follow me as I follow Christ and will commit to doing them with the full authority of Christ what he has done in me. Somebody say discipleship. Hello, somebody. Therefore, hallelujah, when I say I am a disciple, I am wholeheartedly dedicating my life to know Jesus and make him known. No excuses. No excuses. That's the Bible, amen? Now, you can go off saying that other stuff as long as you want to stay in defeat. But you have to ask yourself this question, how much longer do I want to dance with the devil? How much longer do I want to put up with this nonsense? Because let me just tell you, I had this one I showed you at the beginning. uh, Oh, no, I I did at the end over there. Devil and Jesus arm wrestling. This is not the battle I'm in right now. Jesus and the devil are not arm wrestling. The, The devil has been defeated. He has been stomped on. This is not the picture that that's my life. You understand? This is not your life today. I'm going to get her. I'm going to win her for, for my kingdom. No, I'm going to. It's like some WWF thing here. No, the devil is a defeated foe. He has been stomped under the feet of Jesus. You have the victory. Amen? Now, the uh, other problem that people have with this understanding is that then they will say, well, Pastor, since you say it like that, since you say how pure and holy we are, that must mean that I can never lose my salvation. Once I'm saved, I'm always saved. Well, hold on. Is that what it says here? Let's go back to John 15, 6. Let's think about this. There's some branches that get not only pruned, but what happens to them? They get cut off. Anyone who does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, is withered, gathered. They gather them up, throw them into the fire, and they are Oh, hold on now. So if I just think I'm going to live however I want to live, there's now a penalty to pay. So there must be an understanding that we have to go further in to get the true understanding of what Christ's talking about. Romans 6, 1 says it like this. What then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We, who, we are those who have died to sin. How can we continue to live in it any longer? If you've died to sin, how can you live in it any longer? And so this is what I say to anybody here today. How can you say you're going to keep sinning and use God's grace as your get-out-of-jail-free card when you look at the cross? You're telling me you're going to look at the cross tonight, go back home and live in that relationship. You're going to compromise and say, well, he loves me. This is okay. That's where your sin put him. That's where my sin put him. How much longer do you and I want to live in it? Well, he loves me. He'll understand. No, that, that's where your sin put him. There's no buts to this. And so we get into this problem now where if we don't take God seriously, there will literally be hell to pay. Everybody say, preach it, Pastor. Now, you may get scared, but I do want to scare the hell out of you, okay? Is that all right? 
If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, what is there? No sacrifice for sins is left. What can you expect, my friend? Only a fearful expectation of judgment, of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Can I be very serious with you now? Christian, you better be careful not to continue in your sin acting like God's okay with it. Does God love you? Absolutely. Will God purify you and change you? Absolutely. But what is your part? To believe and to obey. Did he not say that in the passage that we have already been reading? He talks about abiding in him. But what does he say at the end when he brings up that love word? What does he say here? He says, as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. That's perfect love. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit have been in perfect love. The Trinity. Abide in my love. Everybody say abide in his love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So what is the manifestation that I've been clean? I keep the commandments of God. Because otherwise, if I keep on sinning, my heart will become hard and I will be cut off from that very vine. Now I want you to put this all together because I don't have time to get into the details, nor do I think it's needed at this point. But follow me on this train of thought that I believe Jesus is giving us here. He finds us literally in the story as a dead, dying branch somewhere in this world. He then takes us, breathes life into us, and then grafts us into his vine. He doesn't take a dirty fork from out the garbage and put it into his mouth. He doesn't take our dirty filthiness and consume it. He takes it on the cross and then gives us his purity before he engrafts us in. The sin took the punishment and the disgust of our sin so that we could be engrafted purely to him being pure, perfectly to his perfection, holy to his holiness. Are you with me? He doesn't take the, the sinner and, and take them in into his vineyard as a sinner. He takes them in born again, redeemed, a child of God, sharing in his divine nature, holy and perfect. That's how we're saved. We're engrafted in. That's day one. You, fin you start where other religions are trying to finish. Other religions are trying to become godly. Other religions are trying to make themselves good before their God. You start where they finish. The moment you accept Christ, the work is done. You are already clean. Now, how do we live the holiness? We live the holiness through the example of the vineyard by letting God prune from us those things that come from our past life, our bad habits and mindsets. We allow the gardener to snip out of us the addictions of our lives, the habits that come so frequently, the words that we speak, and we say, yes, Lord, have all of it. Cut it all away. If we were to say to him, no, I want this dirty leaf. I want the corruption of my sinfulness. We will then end our relationship with him. He will not only cut the bad. Instead of cutting the bad, he will cut us off and treat us as the bad and send us to the lake of fire. That is the Christian life. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Live holy or burn in hell. Now, you may say, Pastor, why are you using that language? I don't talk about hell to threaten you. I use the words of Jesus. Tell me how else you would read this, my friends. I'll just sit here and read it with you. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them, and they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. 
I mean, how else can I understand this? Now, I understand people take this parabolically and just say, well, you're just, you'll just have a bad life because this is hell on earth here. No, that's not what he's talking about. Study the rest of Jesus. Hell is not hell on earth. Hell is a separate dimension, a place of pain and torture where God is not. It's a real place. That's why I preach. Do you guys understand that? That's why I'm preaching. If, if I was not believing in a real hell, I would char- charge all of you for this. I would be a self-help guru like all the other people that get paid, right? Tony Little, Oprah Winfrey, they make money, billionaires, hello. But why does the church and people like me give it away, beg them to come for free? Come hear us. Come listen to the because we believe in this place. Hello? Does anybody else believe in a real place called hell? I'm not trying to threaten you. with. I mean, this is what Jesus said. So this is the simple example We are Christians already made clean. I don't have to clean myself. I'm not going through a perpetual water cycles treatment. I'm not being chiseled away every day. I start this clean in Christ. That means every chain of sin is broken off of me. By who? Jesus. Every chain of sin is broken off of you. And then as we grow, remember we talked about the fruit in the Christian's life? As we grow good fruit, what is some of that fruit we learn? The good works in our life is considered fruit in the Bible. Uh, The character we have, the fruit of the Spirit, that's considered fruit in the Bible. Well, how do those things grow? As we yield ourselves to Christ, as, as the branch gets its life force from the vine, and as long as it stays healthy, it will have everything the vine has. And if it gets unhealthy, then the garden cuts it out. So you don't have to be afraid and say, well, I don't think I'm good enough anymore. If that's your heart, you have missed the whole message. The whole message isn't now go be religious. Go do a bunch of things to prove to God how good you are. No, the point is you were made clean the moment you confessed your sins, the moment you and I did this. I'm not lording my cleanliness over you going, look how clean I am and how dirty you are. He said that to everybody. You and I are just as clean. We're, we're clean. If you have, Does anybody believe in Jesus here? Then you are clean. What if I sin? Then you need your feet washed. What if I sin? Then you need your branch trimmed and pruned. What if I continue to live in sin? Your branch will be cut off. Does everybody understand the sermon there? Now, just in case you don't, and because I'm Polish, I like to repeat things two and three times. Uh, and it's okay because yeah, I'm Polish. I make fun of my own people. I have the writings of John in his epistle in two different versions as Rachel comes, and I literally want us, please, please, as Rachel comes, everybody listen to me. Because this is such a mind-altering message. A lot of our minds are altered here, right? Like we think of things differently. Oh, like I thought I was on the progress bar of heaven. Wow, bing, I'm already done? Yeah, you're already done. It's done. But a lot of us struggle with that because we still struggle with temptation. But what do we say now? Lord, lead me not into temptation, but what? Deliver me out of evil. Do you think there's ever going to come a time you'll pray to be delivered out of evil and and God will be like, nah, go ahead. Just go ahead and get you some of that evil. Do you ever think there's going to be a time like that? So how much evil do you think God will deliver you from if you pray deliver me from evil? Okay, so do you think there will ever be a time when you're in evil, God's going to be like, nah, I'm not delivering you. You can get some of that evil. Right? No. So the idea is when we sin, we do have to realize it was our choice. It wasn't God's choice. But thankfully, as Christians, the benefit of having that relationship, that covenant, is we get forgiveness. Not to keep on sinning, but because we don't want to sin anymore. When I come to the Lord and confess my anger towards my wife, I'm not saying in the back of my mind, thank you, Jesus, for doing that so I can get mad next time and cuss her out because I know I'll be forgiven again. 
No, I'm saying, Lord, thank you for forgiving me because you made me pure and I want to stay that way. I want to guard my heart. Listen to these words from the Bible. I want to walk worthy of my calling. I want to fight the good fight of faith. In the day of evil, I want to stand with spiritual armor on and not be backed off of my position of holiness. I want to be in the default position of purity. I want to live holy. I don't want to walk with a pebble in my shoe and say it's okay. I want all sin to be delivered. I want no matter how small it is or how big it is, out of my shoe, out of my life. I want to walk the path of righteousness. Can I hear an amen? I want you to listen to these scriptures and tell me if they speak to your heart, okay? These are in modern versions of John's letter to his churches in 1 John 3, 7 and onward. I'm going to read two versions. Tell me if this sums up today's message, already clean. So, my dear children... Don't let anyone divert you from the truth. It's the person who acts right who is right, just as we see it lived out in our righteous Messiah. Those who make a practice of sin are straight from the devil, the pioneer in the practice of sin. The Son of God entered the scene to abolish the devil's ways. People convinced and brought into life by God don't make a practice of sin. How could they? God's seed is deep within them, abiding, making them who they are. It's not in the nature of the begotten God or Jesus to practice and parade sin. Here's how you can tell the difference between God's children and the devil's children. The one who won't practice righteous ways isn't from God, nor is the one who won't love their brother or sister. A simple test. How many got something out of that? How about this in the Amplified Version? 1 John, same passage, 3, 7 and onward. Little children, believers, dear ones, don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who practices righteousness, the one who strives to live a consistently honorable life in private as well in public and to conform to God's precepts is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin, separating himself from God, offending him by acts of disobedience, indifference, or rebellion is of the devil and takes his inner character and moral values from him, the devil, not God. For the devil has sinned and violated God's law from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. See, did Jesus patty cake and arm wrestle with the devil or did he destroy the works of the devil? And where did the devil's work need to be destroyed? Come on, point to yourself. That's where it needed to be destroyed. How is it? Is it destroyed there? Should be. Here it is. I love this part. No one who is born of God deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practices sin. Because God's seed, remember we're the vine, he's the branches. God's seed, his principle of life, the essence of his righteous character, remains permanently in him who is born again, who is reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and is set apart for his purpose. And he who is born again cannot habitually live a life characterized by sin because he's born of God and longs to please him. By this, the children of God and the children of, devil, of the devil are obvious, clearly identified. Anyone who does not practice righteousness, who does not seek God's will and thought, action, and purpose, is not of God, nor is the one who does not unselfishly love his believing brother. In closing, I want you to think of the purest water you could ever think of and understand what God is asking us to do. Pure water is healthy for our body. 
And when we digest it, it's good for us. And I want you to think about your life in that same sense and ask yourself this question, how much of the dirt of this world do I want to be in the pure water of my soul? Just ask yourself that. I mean, I can't answer that for you. I know what my temptations are like. I know how they lure me. I know how they make everything look good. Don't you just notice how your temptation and the devil, whatever, it always paints the best picture of your life. It never shows you the horrible things that happen, you know. Like when I get tempted to have illicit sex, I, you know, I get some memory of me partying on one night stand. I don't think about me going to the clinic with an STD, right. I don't get tempted like, oh, you want to go get an STD today? Oh, man, it's so tough. I may want to go do that. No, but I get this picture of an MTV music video like, oh. Oh, it's like the light to the bug, right? Right? You know? Oh, you know, if you did this, this, that. You, you see, the devil and temptation always leaves out the consequences, right? So to just be honest now in this place uh, of spirituality here in this church. Be honest. How much of that stuff do you want in your soul? Jesus is teaching us, our Lord and Savior, that you're already clean. He's like, I got you. I handled that. You mean Lord? That day I came to you, November 5th, 1995, and I confessed my sins. You mean you, you really washed me clean? Yep, clean. You mean you really broke the work of the devil off my life? Yep, destroyed it. You mean, God, you really washed me clean? Yep, whiter than snow, I said in Isaiah, washed you whiter than snow. Yeah. So you mean, God, when I sin, I'm defiling that? Yeah, that's why I'm pruning away waiting for you to get done growing that stuff out. You mean, God, when I step in that stuff, you have to put on a towel again and wash my feet? Yup. I'm waiting for you to stop stepping in that stuff. See, God is saying to us, when are you done with the sin? He's not saying to us, I don't love you. He says he loves us. He died on the cross for us. But what he's asking us is, when are you done? Now, here's the thing. The Bible says that we give him our lives as a drink offering. There's actually something in the Bible called a drink offering. You ever seen the homies pour out the 40? That actually comes from the Bible in one sense because in the Bible they would take their fine alcohol, the strongest that they had, the most fermented, and they would pour it out over the altar and this was a way of saying, God, you get our best. It's called a drink offering. Right? And what God is saying is am I worth you giving me your best? Am I worth your best? See, because you know when you're battling with sin, what you're giving your best to. When you're battling with the temptation, are you giving it to God or are you giving it to your flesh? And what God is saying to you and I is, am I worth it? Do you want to serve me a glass of water with all your filth and have me cleanse it? Over and over and over again. Is that how we're going to do the relationship? Or are you going to offer me your love, your obedience, your worship, your pure, undevoted obedience? See, what does the Bible say? Love God with all your heart. Is he saying love me with all your filthy heart? No, he's saying love me with the heart that I purified for you. Love me with that. No excuses. And so in closing today, it's a catchy little saying, but I think it will work if you believe it. Because it's working in my life. When you believe Jesus made you sinless, 
you will sin less. When you believe that, yeah, he made me sinless. He took that junk away. I'm not waiting for it to go away then. It's happened now. I'll stop making excuses for it. And let me say this in closing because I know you guys have been ultra patient with me. Thank you. Um, so often we come to a church like this, we're casual, we're hanging out, and you guys get a message like this, and you get like, whoa, where did that come from? No, this is the reason why we are so cool. This is the reason why we're so much fun is because we're not confused with religion and holiness. We're not pushing religion on you. I'm not saying go take a 40-day fast, uh, throw out all your rock and roll and stop dancing the bachata and that will make you holy. No, what I'm saying is believe who God called you to be. Believe that. Simply believe it. And you will start looking at life differently. You will cut stuff out of your life that the Bible clearly defines as sin. Sin is not some gray area that old women make up and get to tell us how to how to live. Sin is clear in the Bible. Adultery, you know, fornication, you know, murder, anger, bitterness, wrath, right? It's, it's so simple. That's why our church is so fun. That's why it's so appealing to young people is because we declutter it, but we don't lower it. We say this is what Christianity is. If we were walking with Jesus today, that's what he would say to us. Can I get the band to come, please? As they come, would we all just bow our head and close our eyes and just ask ourselves this question, Lord, am I pure? Or do I need you to cut some things out or wash my feet? If you're not born again, obviously you haven't been made clean. Uh, Tony, would you hit off the lights for me, please? We're just going to just pray before we go. Because if you're not born again, that's the big picture here is you've got to come to Christ. But if you have come to him, and most of us probably have, we, we can start here by saying, God, show me my heart. Are there things growing out that you want to cut out? You know, like my attitude. I don't know if that's always clean. So cut it out. Lord, I let you. I let you. God, my feet sometimes go places they shouldn't. Sometimes I do things I shouldn't do. Show me what they are and I'll confess them. I'll confess them because I want to be pure. And all that I do. From the purity that God gave us, I want pure words, pure thoughts. Think of it once again. You're a vine. Or God is the vine. You are the branches. And fruit is coming through you from the life source. And that fruit represents a holy life. Good words, right? Good father, good mother. Obedience. Go back to the first message. Look at the notes. Look at all of what good fruit is. How is that going to come? Through you yielding your life to him. I know that I had to repent of some things in the first service. Praise God, I haven't sinned since then. I don't have to repent again. But I know some of you got to repent. Would you please be honest with God? You're not doing it for me, a preacher. You're doing it for the Lord. You want help to do it? Psalms 51 is a great place to start. Can I read this as we get ready to go? Look up at it if you can, please, or if you're praying, you can just listen. Listen to David. David was righteous, but yet he sinned. He did naughty things, things he wasn't supposed to. Look at how he prays. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. You see, he's saying, Lord, bring me back to that default place of purity. So blot out the transgression, blot it out, cut it out, wash the feet. 
Wash away. Look at this, this terminology here. Get the mindset here. Wash away all my iniquity. How much of it? All my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me. Do I believe you can walk out of here cleansed? I, man, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be preaching today. I believe each one of us can walk out of here 100% cleansed. And should you sin, you can repent and be brought back into that purity. To never again question your identity. And from that place, find freedom. Can I get the altar workers to come? We're going to close out. Would you stand up with me, please? Can we give Jesus a hand clap? Isn't it good to be talking about Jesus? Amen. I didn't want to miss my hand clap. Had to shut that. I want these guys to tell you something that God has set them free from. I'll go first. God has set me free from pornography, violence, and anger. What has God set you free from? From bitterness and hypocrisy. Amen. What has God set you free from? Bitterness and resentment. What did he set you free from? From violence, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. A lot of stuff in there. Do you want to share? I wish you would tell that testimony, the one that I think would encourage some people, but I don't want to put you on the spot. Do you want to talk about that? It's up to you. I don't want to put you on the spot. Yeah, from homosexuality. Amen. See, people don't think God can do that. That's why I want, you're not ashamed of that. I just think you weren't thinking about that. How did God do it? Did you have to go to five steps? Did we uh, cast demons out of you? Did we yell at you, threaten you with hell? How did God do that? Because I didn't even know about it until it was already done. But how did God do that? One step to the altar. That was it. Can you relate to that, Sadia? You're going to be an SUM student tomorrow. You might as well get used to start telling your testimony. What did God set you free from? Homosexuality. You put that whole testimony on Facebook, didn't you? The world doesn't think she exists. The world thinks once you're born that way, you never change. And shame on us pastors for calling us a sin. But you, that's right. The Bible says be born again. And before she even came to this church, Jesus set her free. I never even talked to her. Is that the truth? That's the truth. So you can hear her full testimony. What did God set you free from? And don't just say good looks and vanity about your looks and stuff. Uh, pornography, hypocrisy. Man, how many are happy to see men free from pornography? Amen. What did God set you free from? Drugs and pornography. Well, you used to do drugs? Yes, I did. Wow, isn't that something? Boy, you know, you came to church. You know, you what, did 12 steps. They poured oil on your head. Made you feel bad, made you eat a joint instead of smoke it like they used to do with the cigarettes. How'd you get free from those drugs? I was born again and made into a new creation. Really? No, uh, what do they call that uh, for, they get, uh, for the heroin addicts? What do they give them? What do they give them? Yeah, rehab. No rehab? No. None of that? Okay, look at that. Jesus sets free drug addicts. Isn't that awesome? What did Jesus set you free from? Anger, bitterness, fornication, and addiction to isn't that awesome? What did God set you free from? Tell it all. You better tell it all. You guys look at Jerry. You have no idea. See, when you come to church, see, a church like this, we're so casual. We don't dress religious with collars. She's a pastor, obviously. But we don't know each other's full story. You need to get to know people's story, man. 
You need to hear how God has set them free. We are not a church that just talks about it. We live it. You see us sin, what's the next thing you should see from us? True repentance. If you don't see true repentance, you come to me and we'll, we'll deal with it. Amen. We do not make excuses for sin and our leadership here. Amen. We may be a church of four people, but we'll live holy. And praise God, we got beyond four. Amen. Because it used to be just four of us. People are like, y'all crazy. We can't live. We're not doing this. I'm going back down to this church where they make me feel good. But I'm telling you, after a while, the real those feelings left them because you're still in sin, and that don't feel good after a while, does it? You lie to yourself. It don't feel good. But then people started coming back, and they said, man, I really want to get free. And you guys talk about it all the time. You don't put out religion. You show us freedom. What did God set you free from, man? Were you... Uh, just, uh, just you know, becoming too addicted to your higher education as a young man. <laughs> tell us, tell us the whole story. What did God set you free from? Uh, gangs, violence. Look at that gang. We have a gang member saved up in the house. Amen. So you weren't a nerd being saved from your PlayStation Two addiction? No, no, no. We're close. You were a real gang banger. Yes. Not like, not like some of these I see, these fake ones. You were a real one? I was a real one, yes. Amen. God saved you. How did you get saved? Did somebody have to scare you straight, dress up like a sergeant from the military, like they do on Maury Povich, and yell at you and tell you, you want this, you want some of this? How did you get saved? In a, in a cell, a jail cell. What block? C block. You got saved on C block? You mean to tell me God showed up at C block? What else you been saved from? Uh, adultery, sexual morality, self-pleasure, pornography, wow. just sin. Amen. Sin. What you been saved from? Man, all sorts of stuff. Uh, smoking trees, squares, got in trouble with the law. Did you have to do the nicotine patch? They put a patch on you and then we prayed and said, Lord, bless this patch? No, I smoked two packs a day. It went from two packs to zero. Come on, somebody. Y'all believe that? Y'all believe that? That's church. If people knew what we were talking about here today and believe it, there wouldn't be an empty chair here. I'm telling you. But the world has been deceived. The Bible says the minds of this world are deceived. They will pay. I mean, how much money are they paying for nicker patches right now? And they'll say, oh, I've been to church and I tried that. No, you didn't try what Brian tried because I did the same thing he did. I got set free one step to Jesus. We had people in our other service set free from depression. God can do it. Now, I'm not saying that it comes through your human effort. We're saying it comes through Jesus. Amen. We're going to end out today clapping, and then we're going to end out today praying, and we're going to end out with you guys coming to get prayer. If you want some more, otherwise worship with us. But please do not leave out here the same way you came in. Amen. And if you understood what we just said, you've understood the truth of what God said about you. You are already clean. It's time to live it. Can I get you to pray for us? Rachel, pray for us. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your love, God. Thank you for your presence. God, that, Lord, your love supersedes everything, oh, God, that we can even put up against it, Father. So I just pray that, Lord, you would open up our eyes to see, God, that you have made us clean. God, if there's anyone here, God, that hasn't been made clean, God, would you set us free? God, will we come and make that one step to you, Jesus? And, God, as we live for you, God, remind us of who we are in you. Remind us of our true identity. Let us walk in purity and holiness as you call us to. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in this house. In Jesus' name. Amen. Neighbor, high five and say, you already clean. God bless you. Have a great day. 
Come up for prayer or worship with us. We love you. It's all about Jesus. To the heavens, Jesus be the center. Come on up if you need prayer. Don't be ashamed. God loves you. We love you. You can be free. Never the same again. Jesus. From my heart to the heavens. It's all about you. One of the verses, please. Jesus, Jesus, be the center of my life. Come on. I want Lily to sing it with you. 